Well, good morning, Celebration Church. I'd like to welcome all of our campuses, those of you online joining us. Welcome. Good to have you here with us here today. Let's all stand up together. Let's say this. This is who we are, and this is what we believe here at Celebration Church. Let's say this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Ow! We're excited about that. All right. Well, hey, we want to give a uh, Go Beyond update. It is that time of the month. We like to update you, let you know where we are with Go Beyond, and we're just excited about where we are at. Uh, if you want to put up the slide, we'll show you where the numbers come in. At our Appleton campus, we are uh, just under $39,000. Stevens Point, you're at $89,000. West Green Bay, you're at $102,000. East Green Bay at $388,000 for a total number of $618,000. Give yourselves a big old hand. Well done. Uh, What's so exciting about this is we are exactly at the halfway point. Uh, $1.2 million has been pledged. We've raised half of the money, which is pretty impressive. You guys are faithful. And generous, and I know you're praying, and when you give, you make a difference here at Celebration Church. Uh, at the halfway point would be a great time to get connected if you've not gotten connected with Go Beyond. There's still time. You could fill out a uh, commitment card. We have those in the lobbies of all of our campuses. We encourage you to connect in and uh, participate with Go Beyond. Uh, there is a brochure if you want to know more about what it is about. And inside of there, you'll see a letter from our lead pastor, some things about what God's accomplished through Celebration Church. Uh, the vision, which is really about expanding our reach and building to enlarge and expand our church. So that's what's happening and some great things going on with securing our future, reducing our debt, uh, wonderful things happening at Celebration Church. So when you give, you make a big difference, and we want to acknowledge that and say thank you for your generosity. Well, this morning, I wanted to take a look at what it means for us to live in light of the resurrection people. What does it mean that Jesus is alive? What does it mean for us to live in light of that? Because it's a big, big deal. Uh, as early as the third century, Christians began celebrating Easter as a 50-day journey. So it would start on Easter Sunday, and they would celebrate all the way through to Pentecost. And that's where we find ourselves right now in the church calendar. We're closing out this season of Easter, and we're entering into Pentecost. And that's where you focus in on the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the church's life, and in our world. So that's what I want to do and dig in as to what it means for us to be Easter people. Because Jesus is alive. Can someone say amen? That is great news. Jesus is alive. And in the Gospel of John is where we'll find these stories that will navigate us 
through this day. And we'll start in chapter 14. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's letting them know, guys, I'm going away, but don't freak out. It's going to be okay. And we pick up the story in John chapter 14 and verse 12. This is Jesus talking. He says this, very truly, I tell you, when Jesus says that, he's being serious. He doesn't even say truly. I mean, he's using words that are big descriptors like very truly, I tell you. So we can pay attention to this. Jesus is saying, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Isn't that amazing? The stuff that Jesus was up to in the world, he says, very truly, if you believe in me, You're going to do these kinds of things, forgiving people of sin, healing people, seeing people be set free. Jesus, who did he spend time with? He spent time with sinners sometimes, doing life with people, going into their house, having a meal. Jesus did amazing things, performed miracles, turned water into wine. Jesus said, you guys are going to do the stuff that I've been up to. And he says, and you will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And then a very popular section of scripture in verse 13, Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. What we see here is that Jesus is passing the baton. Jesus is calling us out now to do the work that he's been doing. He's putting us in a mission. He's giving us a job to do. He's giving you a new job description, this big task of bringing forth new creation. We're supposed to be about the kingdom of God. So how do we take on such a big, huge task? How do we take on all of these things that Jesus was up to in the world? Well, we read on in the Gospel of John. Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Notice that loving God looks like keeping his commands. If you've been around Celebration Church over the past couple of years, you'll know that loving God is equated with keeping his commands. We'd encourage you, if you haven't listened to sermons, going back at Celebration Church, take some time, go through the message of Jesus, learn what is it that Jesus told us to do. And he says, if you love me, you'll do it. So that means you gotta know it and then you gotta do it. So Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And then he says in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. This is Pentecost. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we've been tasked with this big job. We've been tasked to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive, that he's risen. We've been tasked to do the things that Jesus was up to on the earth. And he says, how are you gonna do it? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you another to help you. I'm sending someone, the Holy Spirit. So the good news is that Jesus is Lord over the heavens and Jesus is Lord over the earth. All authority has been given to him and he's got the authority to give you this job description. He can give you this job to do and he's calling on you this morning to give you this job. We've got the mandate to proclaim this good stuff that he is alive and then in that we find new life 
right here in the presence. We find new life for us in the future. And we find kingdom work for us to be doing here in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says it this way. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old is gone and new is here. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together is now transition from Jesus talking to his disciples, calling on them, giving them a really important job to do, telling them that it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now let's watch this play out. Let's watch it play out after Jesus is now alive, the resurrection stories, and he begins appearing to his disciples. Let's take a look at what this looks like because what we are called to do is to walk through the door that Jesus has opened. In fact, Jesus hasn't opened a door. He has kicked a big door open wide, and our job isn't to open that door again. Our job is to now walk through the door that's been opened. Another way to think about it would be that we are called to implement the achievement of Jesus Christ's work in the world. Think about it this way. Medical research. You got a medical research team. In the 1970s, uh, they began researching Drugs, not the kind of drugs that Pastor Joe is smoking, but they began researching <laughs> drugs. So as you know, my wife, she's, she's going through chemotherapy, and uh, they began researching these drugs back then, right? So they're researching these drugs, and what they discovered is that you can put together certain things and that you can kill off this particular type of cancer cell with this particular type of chemotherapy, it's the same type of chemo my wife is getting today, many, many, many years later. So in the 70s, this great achievement, hey, we can destroy this cell that would normally otherwise destroy human life. So the doctor's job today is to implement the achievement of the drug. The, the deal is the sick need the medicine. My wife got the medicine she needs. Our job, church, is to implement the achievement. Our job is to give the medicine to the sick, to give the medicine to those that need it. Another way to think of it would be a song. A great uh, composer writes music, and the job of the band is then to play the song that's been written. Every Sunday at every single one of our campuses, we play music. Some of you might love the music. Some of you might not be able to stand the music. Good news is that's okay. You can still go to church. But we play music every Sunday morning, and the band gets up, and they play the song that's been written. And in fact, the way we like to do it at Celebration Church is we try to play the song precisely how the artist wrote it. We get in, and we figure it out. We play it exactly to the chart, and the musicians take the time to learn it, and they play it exactly how it was meant to be played, and they recreate that experience, and it's a beautiful thing of art. The job that we have is to play the song that Jesus has written. We've got a job to do to make this message known. So let's watch this play out in the resurrection story in the Gospel of John. We'll pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1. The tomb is now empty. So let's read this. Verse 1, it says, early on the first day of the week. Take a look at that. That's new creation language right there. That's new creation talk. Early on the first day of the week. Sounds a lot like 
Genesis, in the beginning. John, clever guy, starts off his book saying, in the beginning. Go read chapter one. He says, in the beginning. Here he says, on the first day of the week. He'll repeat himself again here in a little bit and say, on the first day of the week. This is new creation talk. Just like in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth and he created man and he created the garden and he said, now go take care of this garden. New creation is here and he's saying, now go take care of this new garden. Go take care of this new work. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we have no idea where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Here's how the story goes. They're both running, but it says one Disciple outran the other. This is the way I see it. I see one disciple being skinny and small and really fast and not able to fend off bad guys, right? He's not all that big and strong, but I see one of the disciples as being a big old ox that can't move very fast, and he's not afraid of anything because look how the story goes. It says, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in. He sees strips of linen lying there, but he ain't going to dare go in because he ain't crazy. He knows he's little, and he's going to get worked over if he goes inside. So then Simon Peter, the big old ox, he came along behind him. He goes straight into the tomb. He sees strips of linen lying there. He doesn't care, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in his place. He doesn't care, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple realizes, all right, the big old ox, he checked. Everything's clear. I can go in. He goes in the tomb, and it says this. He saw and he believed. And then in parentheses, in verse 9, it says this. They still didn't understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So what I want you to do in these stories is I want you to start to identify yourself in these very real, these very human stories. Here are these guys. They go to the tomb. The tomb is empty. Hope looks like it's been lost. Their savior has been crucified. Not exactly what they wanted. And now the tomb is empty. This is even worse news. They go in, but they see and they believe, but they don't quite know what this is all about. Maybe you're here today at one of our campuses and you would say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I like this whole church stuff. Man, prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. I, I believe, but I don't know quite what to make of it. That's okay. That's the first person in the story. They don't know quite what's going on, and that's okay. They see, but they don't understand. So they go back to the elder disciples, back to where they were staying. Now, verse 11, Mary enters the story again. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb. Now, she's crying. And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. The second character in the story is Mary. Mary, in the resurrection story, she's bumming. She's mourning, she's weeping, she's crying. She thinks all hope has been lost. Everything she had counted on looks like it has come to a close. Jesus is now dead. They've taken his body away. What are we going to do? And she's mourning. Many of you today might be able to identify with Mary in the story. Hope seems like it's gone for whatever reason. And there's all kinds of reasons. 
And you're mourning, and you're crying, and you're sad, and you think all hope has been lost. And look how this story goes. As she wept, she bent over, she, she looks inside the tomb, and she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, as you should ask any woman who's crying, they say, woman, why are you crying? Let me suggest, if your wife is crying, that that's a good way to ask her. Woman, why are you crying? It's biblical. Anytime my wife's crying, I'll be like, woman, why are you crying? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think you can talk to ladies like that legally. But anyhow, <laughs> I think it's illegal. But Jesus did it too. So check this out. Woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize it was God. Notice God's kind of always hiding in these resurrection stories. He's there in the middle of the grief. He's there in the middle of the crying. He's there in the middle of the doubt. Well, read these stories. They're great. Jesus is there. And he asks her, woman, why are you crying? So she's crying. Jesus says it too. Who is it you're looking for? And thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've taken him, tell me where you put him, and I'll go and get him. Mary's getting ready to go get Jesus from this gardener boy. So Jesus said to her, Mary, and he calls her out by name. And for thousands of years, Jesus has been up to the same business, calling out to those who are mourning, calling out to those that are crying. Calling out to those that think all hope has been lost. And he's calling you out by name. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God. Maybe you're crying. Maybe you're mourning. Maybe you think hope isn't there. God is calling you out by name. And he calls her out and he says, Mary. And she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. We see here in the story, Mary's bumming and Jesus calls her out by name. The story goes on. Jesus now is going to appear to a group of disciples. It says in verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, new creation talk, new creation has come early on that first day, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together. Now the doors are locked because they're in fear of the Jewish leaders. These guys, Jesus has now been crucified, died a brutal death, horrible crucifixion. The body's been taken away. This looks very bad. Hope is now gone. These guys, they're afraid. They're locked up in fear. The door has been locked, and they are locked away. And they put themselves away, and they're hiding, and they're freaking out. Maybe this is the person you might identify with. Maybe it looks like hope has been lost, and you're freaking out. And these guys are doing that, and it says, Jesus came, and he stood among them. In the middle of fear, Jesus says, I'm there. I will be there with you, even in the middle of the fear. Even in the middle of it looking like hope is gone, I will be there with you. And Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. And after this, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I mean, these guys are freaking out. They're jumping, they're yelling, they're excited. And I think Jesus has to say, peace be with you again. Otherwise, it could be bad news. Really, they might need to lock their doors. So he says, peace be with you, chill out. So then... Jesus kind of repeats himself from the 14th chapter. And he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sends me, I am sending you. Just as God sent me to the people of Israel, so Jesus is now sending us to the world. And it says, with that, 
he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This echoes back to Genesis as well. Think about it. New creation. Jesus creates man. And what does he do? He breathes life into man. And he says, now go take care of the garden. Jesus breathes on these guys. He breathes the life into them and breathes the Holy Spirit and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now go take care of the garden. The stuff that Jesus has been up to, we get to be up to. How awesome is that? We get to be stuff, doing stuff that Jesus was doing. This is great, great news. This is great work for us to be doing. He says, receive the Holy Spirit as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the church. I'm sending you to the, your neighbor. I'm sending you to your coworker. I'm sending you to your family. I'm sending you to the world. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Earlier on, Jesus is talking about how the Father is in me and I am in the Father and I'm not doing this by my own authority but I'm doing it by the Father and then Jesus says the Holy Spirit is in you and you're not going to be doing this by your own strength you're doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit this is very cool how all this plays out as the Father sent me I'm sending you and then this little story closes out with a huge concept that we could spend sermons on Pastor Mark just did so we won't but in John 2023, 20, it says this If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. To live out new creation, to live out the kingdom of God, to see new things in your life, to see old gone and new coming, to see this requires that we are people that are marked by forgiveness. We've got to forgive. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Huge part of the Easter story. Then the story transitions to Thomas, Doubting Thomas. We all know the name Doubting Thomas. Maybe it's not fair. Thomas doubts. A lot of us doubt. He's a skeptic. He's doubting. And the story goes on like this. Maybe this is who you resonate, someone that is filled with doubt. John chapter 20, verse 24 says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Man, we've seen the Lord, we've seen Jesus. We saw the, the nail marks in his hands. We saw the piercing in his side. We saw Jesus. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand, I put my finger where the nails were. Unless I see the, the wound in his side and I put my hand there, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were together in the house again. And Thomas now is with them and the doors were locked. So Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, notice, he calls out to Thomas. He calls out to the guy that when hope looked like it was gone, ran to doubt. And he reaches out to Thomas and he literally extends his hand and says, Thomas, look at the nail marks in my hand. Look at the piercing in my side. Come and follow me. Maybe you're wrapped up with doubt and Jesus is calling out to you and he's extending his hand to you today. Now all these stories are the stories we get to play out in our lives for other people. So Jesus is now calling out to Thomas. He's called out to you. And he says these words, believe, and Thomas does. So we see these very real and human stories. We've got Mary 
filled with grief, and Jesus comforts her. We see Peter and John running to the empty grave, believing and not quite understanding, and yet they believe. We see the disciples huddled together, locked up in fear, and Jesus comes and he talks to them. We see Thomas filled with doubt, and Jesus reaches out his hands. And then the Gospel of John finishes with chapter 21. And the disciples do what you do when you don't know what else to do, because this is where they're at. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go fishing. Am I right? We're from Wisconsin. We know that, right? How many of you, your husbands are gone today because he's out fishing? Be honest. All right. We got a few husbands gone because they're out fishing. So they decide they're going to go fishing, and we all have fishing stories. I've got a fishing story. I'm not much of a fisherman, but I got this buddy named Bonta. He also goes by Bonch, and he's supposed to be like the mighty fisherman. So I got this buddy, Bonta, and he's supposed to be the mighty fisherman. So back like my last year of high school, I had this beautiful car, 1988 VW Jetta, cherry red, crank sunroof top. It had like the leather on the sides, cloth, and I mean, just beautiful. Stick shift, loved my VW Jetta. I had a short, I had to push start it just to get it going. Awesome car, and every day during that summer, we'd strap up this enormous aluminum canoe. It hung way off the front and way off the back, and every day that summer, Bonge convinced me to go fishing, and he was gonna teach me how to be a great fisherman. So we'd go out and we'd go fishing, we'd put that canoe out on the water, get the paddles going, and then we'd start fishing, right? So we're fishing. And you know how many fish we caught that summer? Zero. Zero fish. The mighty fisherman doesn't know how to catch a fish. Bonta, if you're listening to this, you're not a good fisherman. But, so I'm fishing with Bonta, and we don't catch any fish. So one day, we're up against the rocks. We decide not to drop the canoe in. So we get up against the rocks, and we're sitting there, and we're throwing lines in the water, and we're fishing. We're reeling it in, and all we're doing is we're pulling in weeds, you know, we're pulling in junk, pulling in empty soda cans, stuff like that. And so I throw it out finally, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, this is a little heavy. So I'm dragging in a log, right? I'm all, Bonta, get ready to help me with my big log, you know? So I'm dragging in my log that I caught, and as it gets closer, oh my goodness, that might be a fish. So I stand up. We get there and we're reeling it in. It's getting closer and closer. And we realize this fish is three times the size of me, right? Fishing stories, right? This fish is huge, like this big northern. It's enormous. And so we get this fish. I'm like, Bonta, mighty fisherman. So I drag it up against the rocks and it's flopping. I'm like, Bonta, go get my fish because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fish, but the mighty fisherman will know what to do. I get it on the rocks. He picks it up, seriously gets scared of this fish, Flops off the line, back into the water, and I lost my trophy fish. So we all got fishing stories, and the Bible closes out the Gospel of John with a fishing story, and it goes like this. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from, Gal- uh, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter's like, enough of this business. I'm going fishing. So he goes fishing. The other disciples say, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they get in the boat that night and they caught nothing. They catch nothing. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. I think he's making fun of them. Hey, friends, it doesn't look like you've caught any fish. So he's kind of making fun of the disciples, mocking them for not being good fishermen. 
They didn't catch any fish, and they answered, yeah, we know, we haven't caught any fish. And Jesus says, well, throw, throw it to the other side. You know, it's like, Bonta tried to tell me the same thing. Well, try, try fishing on the other side of the canoe. Nothing. But these guys, they throw it over. They probably think it's a joke. They throw the net to the other side. But when they did, it says, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Man, this has got to be a God thing. Look, we just caught all this fish. That must be God, man. Check it out, all these fish. So they haul it in, and as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. No wonder why these guys aren't catching fish. They're scaring all of them away, right? It's like going fishing with your kids. Like, shh, you're scaring all the fish away. So these guys are just swimming, not fishing. It's all coming together. So... They, the other disciples, followed in the boat, towing this big net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw Jesus had already fired up the Weber grill, and they're about to have a barbecue. No kidding, he's burning coals. Look, it says that, coals, Kingsford coals, right there. Jesus has already got the grill going, and he's got fish on it already, and some bread. He's going to have a meal with these guys. We're heading into summertime. What a great model for us. Eat some food. Fire up the grill. Invite the neighbors over. Be like Jesus. Hang out with people. Let them know the goodness of who he is. And love on your neighbors. Love on your family. So Jesus is eating a meal now. It says that Jesus said to them, bring some of that fishy that you just caught. So they, Peter, Simon Peter climbs back onto the boat and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. And like any good fishing story, he lets us know exactly how many he caught. It was 153. I think that was their limit back in that day. Catches 153 fish, but even with so many, the net wasn't even torn. Jesus said to them, come on, guys, let's eat some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. And the same with the fish. They're getting ready to have a meal. We're getting ready to have the communion meal here together. An opportunity to do business with God. Now, this was the third time, it says in verse 14, that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. In verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, it's the last character in the story we'll look at. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, my Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Notice that love looks like you're getting a job to do. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then go feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. For the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by now. He's like, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What's interesting about this story is Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times, Jesus reaches out to Peter and says, do you love me? And he says, yes. And then Jesus gives him a job to do. It's, a very, it's another real big human story that you and I we can identify with is Jesus reaching out to those that have let him down. We've all been guilty of letting God down. We've all, we all need forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're guilty of letting someone down. Maybe someone's let you down. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe someone has been let down in your life. And Jesus, in the middle of this, reaches out and says, I'm with you. And if you love me, I've got a job for you 
to do. So we see the form that forgiveness takes is a job to do. And Jesus gives Peter a job. And today, Jesus is calling out to you. Maybe the character you identify with is Peter. Maybe you've let God down. Jesus is calling out, saying, do you love me? And if you do, then feed my sheep. If we had more time together, and I know we don't, I could spend a lot of time to say thank you to you guys. Thank you to Celebration Church. Thank you for what you've meant to my wife and I. We all need people that'll stand with us and do life with us, and you guys have done that. You've prayed for us. You've fed us food. You've helped with our kids. You've nameless things. Thank you so much for being like Jesus to my wife and I, because we really appreciate it. We've got a job to do, Celebration Church. We're called to proclaim the good news. We're called to be like Jesus to the world around us. We are called to implement the song that he's played, to give the medicine to the sick. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for everyone at every single one of our campuses today, Lord. And I pray that we would take our job seriously. Lord, you said that if you love us, you've got a job. If we love you, that you've got a job for us to do. So God, I pray that we would be serious about that job. God, I pray that we would do life with other people so that we're able to know where it is that we can be involved. God, I pray that we would feed the hungry, that we would set people free, that we would be marked by forgiveness. God, I pray that as we identify with these very real and human stories and these resurrection accounts, God, I pray that like Mary was wrapped up with, uh, with mourning, with weeping and crying, thinking all hope was gone, as the disciples were afraid when they thought hope was gone, as the others didn't know what to do, and you've got Thomas filled with doubt, you've got Peter wrapped up in letting God down. God, I pray that in the middle of all that, we'll realize that you're standing right next to us, and you're waiting for us to respond to you and say yes. Lord, I pray that you would be with us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.